0: We've been going through this book of Ruth, and uh, over these past four weeks, uh, we've been looking at the story of the person of Ruth in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And if you have time this week, you can go back and listen to the other sermons if you haven't been here. Um, but just by way of review, here is this woman Ruth. Now, we're following this the story of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi is a Jewish woman whose family goes to Moab because they're escaping a famine. And while they're in Moab, one of her sons marries Ruth. And so uh, when uh, Naomi goes to Moab, she's married and she has two sons, but then all of those men in her life die in Moab. So when she returns, she actually returns just with Ruth. So it's just Naomi and her Moabite daughter-in-law. Okay, and so the Bible always, when they talk about Ruth, they always they, they they use this phrase, Ruth the Moabite, right? As if, as if just to remind you that she doesn't belong, just to remind you that she's not Jewish, Ruth the Moabite, right? And um, you know, so Ruth and Naomi, they both come back to Judah, they come back to uh, their land, and they're trying to figure out where they're going to get food. And so then Ruth goes out and she starts gleaning in a field and it just so happens to be the field of one of their relatives, what they call one of their redeemers. And we're going to look at this idea of redeemer here in this uh, chapter four, but it ends up being in the field of Boaz and Boaz ends up providing for and protecting Ruth during this harvest season saying, stay with my men, stay with my women, eat at our table Glean from our field. So God is providing for and protecting Ruth during this barley harvest season. So that goes on for seven weeks, but now the season is over and Ruth and Naomi have no more harvest seasons to glean. So they're trying to figure out what's the long-term plan here, right? So some of you may be like, you know, I know I can get to like the end of August, but what's the long-term plan here? Right, And so Ruth and Naomi in chapter 3, they're trying to figure out what's the long-term plan. And Naomi goes, I know what we'll do. We'll go to the harvest celebration where they're, they're reaping all of the grain. And so there's like a big celebration. There's like a big party. Everybody's eating a lot. They're drinking a lot. And so Naomi goes to Ruth and says, go to Boaz at the end of the celebration, like when he's like sleeping or sleeping it off, if you, if you will, right? So like he's done with the partying and everything like that. Go to him and basically, I mean, you really had to be here last week, but, you know, it, it's basically like uncover him and basically proposition yourself to him. Now, this sounds a little scandalous for our Bibles, but you have to understand that what would happen is in those times, if you were given a male son that was a way through a, a relative. That was the way that God provided for and protected you. And so Naomi was trying to force the issue. And so Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night, looks at Ruth and is just like, whoa, what's going on? Who are you? And then she says, well, I'm Ruth. And he goes, okay. He goes, there's someone, uh, there's someone that is a redeemer closer than me. There's a relative that is closer to you than me. And so it's his right of refusal first but if he doesn't do it, I'll take care of you. And then he gives her extra grain, sends her home, and protects her reputation. Ruth gets back to Naomi, and Naomi, at the end of chapter three says, okay, whatever he asks you to do, do it, because he's gonna be, he's gonna be right, he's gonna do well by you, he's gonna take care of you. So today, we've looked at uh, this idea of, of the, the threshing floor, now we're looking at this idea of the redeemer the Redeemer. This is the conclusion of Ruth. Um, So now, Boaz and Ruth sends Ruth home and says, okay, tomorrow we're going to go find this next Redeemer, the one who is closer to you, closely uh, related to you. So this is what it says in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside friends sit down here and he turned aside and sat down and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said sit down here so he's he's convening a council he's saying this is we're gonna we're gonna deal with this right here and right now he says so they sat down then he said to the redeemer naomi who has come back from the country of moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative elimelech Imagine this is like a you know a television show or something like that you're following. And you know how the story's gonna end, right? Like you know that like it's like the male lead and the female lead, they're gonna end up together. And then it's like, he sits down with this guy and the guy doesn't even, we don't even know his name. He doesn't even get a name, right? Like he doesn't even get a credit on the television show. It's like, well, that's not the guy. Not the guy that just got introduced in episode four. He doesn't end up with the girl. Like that's not how it's supposed to go. So, so Boaz says, Okay, sit down here. I want to tell you, you're a closer relative to Naomi. Naomi is selling her plot of land. And you're like, what? Land? We're not talking about land. We're not talking about a parcel of land. We're talking about Ruth. We're talking about her offspring. Where is this idea of of a land? See, Boaz is a smart guy. So he says, okay, Naomi is selling a parcel of land. And you're the closest redeemer. Would you like this parcel of land? And so he goes... Okay. All right, great. I'll take it. Now, this falls in line with the uh, Levitical, right? The Leviticus uh, understanding of how relatives would protect, keep things in the family, right? It's a sort of way of like when you would write a will and you would, you know, divest your, your belongings to those within your family. This is how they would do this. So the examples of this is that there would be this redeemer this relative that was closest to the family would have the right of refusal to buy back land leviticus 25 says if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold so if one of you is falling on hard times and says i need to sell my land in order to survive the nearest relative would come by and buy the land because we want to keep it in the family. So you could buy back land, you could also buy back a servant. Leviticus 25, later on in the chapter, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan. Basically, if he indentures himself, if he he, he works for this person, then after he is sold to this sojourner, this stranger, he may be bought back. He may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. So if one of your family members becomes so poor that he has to basically sell himself into servitude to someone else, a relative will come and redeem him. Now, mind you, this idea of redeeming this word redeemer that we sing about, that we know about through Christ in Leviticus was this idea of buying back something, buying back that something that was lost, buying back something that was rightfully yours. You now, When we think about the idea of redeemer in Christ, when we think about this idea of redeeming, Christ is simply buying back that which was lost, which is us. Okay, So you can buy back land, you could buy back a servant, or you could even marry a widow. And this is what we've looked at before when we were looking at the story of Tamar in Judah in uh, in Genesis. But this is what it says in Deuteronomy 25. "If If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside to the family to a stranger, Her husband's brother shall go into her take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her and the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel so the brother now I I know in our culture this sounds very weird right like we don't do that nowadays and that's okay, but understand what there was going on back then. It, it, I mean, it, 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 it sounds weird because it's like a sexual sort of thing, but it literally says, perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. So it wasn't a sexual arrangement as much as it was an, a societal arrangement to provide protection for her. Because once a widow had a son, she was protected in society. And so this was their mechanism to provide for and protect women, widows, in that culture. We don't do that anymore, and that's okay. But understand that that's what was going on. At that time, a relative would redeem you through buying back land, buying back a servant, or, or giving you uh, marrying a widow and giving an offspring. This was the example that we saw in Genesis uh, of the story of Tamar, who... She was a widow and her father-in-law refused to give one of the brothers to her. So she dresses up like a prostitute, seduces Judah. Judah sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. Judah gets mad. You're, you're a widow. You're supposed to be mourning. Who did you sleep with that you got pregnant? And she's like, well, the person, I don't know, gave me these as payment and those were Judah's. And Judah was like, okay, never mind. But you know what ended up happening? Is she becomes she becomes blessed. she is called blessed because she has received an offspring. So again, it's this idea of redeeming, buying back that which was lost. So the qualifications of a redeemer as we're talking about in Leviticus 25 and deuteronomy 25 are three characteristics. The first thing is that you need to be able to you need to be able, you have to have to have the means to Buy something back. The the plot of land does not just immediately become yours. It's something that you have right of first refusal, but you have to be able to buy it back. You need to be able to have the money and the resources to be able to do it. So you have to be able to do it. You also have to be willing to do it. We see this in Ruth. Boaz says, it's yours if you want it, but do you want it? Because you have to be willing to pay for it. You have to be willing to do it. And then you need to have blood. You have the right blood. You need to be a blood relative. You need to be a a, a family member. So you need to be able, you need to be willing, you need to have the right blood. And all this is to buy back that which was lost. In Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 25, a redeemer had to be able to, willing to, and have the right blood in order to buy back that which was lost. You had to be able to, willing to, and have the right blood to buy back that which was lost. Some of you are knowing where, you you see where we're headed with this. A redeemer needed to be able to, willing to, and have the right blood in order to buy back that which was lost. We're going to continue with the story of Boaz. So this redeemer that we don't even know his name says, okay, yeah, I'll buy the land. it's like a record scratch, like, what? That's not the right story. This is not, no. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire who? Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Mm -hmm. So in other words, he's saying, okay, so you want to buy the field, great. You also get Ruth, the Moabite, whose husband died. And so you now bear the responsibility to give this Moabite widow a son. So Boaz is smart. He's like, you want some land? And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll take some land. He's like, great, you got to sleep with the Moabite. It's like, look what happens. He says, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz does the classic bait and switch. You want the piece of land, but it also comes with Ruth the Moabite. And the guy's like, you know what? On second thought, why don't you take it? Right? I think he was thinking, ah, this is going to be a difficult conversation for me to have at home. So why don't I just let you take the land and Ruth the Moabite? And then so it goes on, it says, Now the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal, gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandals. He takes off his sandal, the exchange sandal. This is like the ratifying of this arrangement, right? So now Boaz says, okay, I can be the one to redeem it. So... Um, Where are we now? Okay, verse 9. It says, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among all from among his brothers and from the gate of, this, of his native place, you are witnesses this day. And then it goes on, it says, that all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord, may Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So the the town elders are saying, may you be blessed, may she be blessed, just like Tamar was blessed when she gave birth to Perez. Now Tamar was that woman who dressed up like a prostitute and seduced Judah, her father-in-law, in order to get that son, Perez. So you understand the context of everything that was going on. Even the Jews at that time put together Tamar and Ruth. And they said, may you be blessed just like Tamar was. May you be given an offspring just like Tamar was. Now, Tamar took it upon herself Dress up like a prostitute, seduce father-in-law. Here, Ruth and Boaz, Boaz is doing it in the right way, going through the right channels, saying you can have the right of first refusal, and then he refuses and says, okay, all of you have seen I today buy back the land from Naomi and take Ruth to be my wife, Ruth the Moabite. So, the story continues. So, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife." Now I want to say, pause and say one thing. I've heard, I've read, watched a bunch of things on the book of Ruth. And I have heard time and time again about uh, this sort of narrative around Boaz and Ruth. And this being the model of this sort of biblical marriage. This, this idea of like, you know, sisters, go find yourself a Boaz. Um, and and I, I don't want, like, I mean, if you're out there and you're, like, trying to find your Boaz and, you know, this and that, like, I, I think that's okay. But I actually think that when you sexualize their relationship, I think it actually removes some of the, the, the beauty of what's going on here. And let me just explain here. So Boaz, as an older man, is taking Ruth, a Moabite, younger woman. And if we make this about like a sexual sort of arrangement, then I think it basically says, oh, it was an older guy gets a younger wife. Like, oh yeah, that's what he would want. And so Boaz is like incentivized to, you know, take Ruth on. This was all like a a, a mechanism for him to be able to get like a young wife, right? I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, when we think about this idea of redemption, it's not just because like, oh, you get a young wife, is that you get somebody really attractive to sleep with. See, so I don't think that's what's going on. And in fact, I think that undermines actually the power of the redemption that we're seeing in Ruth 4. When Boaz keeps talking to Ruth, he keeps calling her my daughter. And when uh, the, the, Ruth 4 talks about this idea, he's, he's saying, I will t- take on the duty of giving Ruth an offspring. And, you know, the interactions that you see between Boaz and Ruth, you see in the beginning of chapter 2, where he says, whose woman is this? Or who's, you know, yeah, who who does this woman belong to? She says, okay, stay with my... And then we don't know that they've talked during the harvest. And then it's at the threshing floor where he's like, oh, hold on, we're going to do things right. And then here it is in chapter 4, where he basically goes in and sleeps with her to give her an offspring. So that's all we see. And so I think that it's actually just enough to be the act of redemption to provide for and protect this woman, not because she's young, not because she's attractive, not because she has anything about her that would say, oh, I want to marry you. The act of redemption says it's not because you're young and attractive, it's because you're poor and you're a widow and you're vulnerable and you're a Moabite. That's the reason why. So I will come in and I will do the duty of providing and protecting you, not because it's benefit to me, but because the redemption is what you need in this society. And so I'm gonna provide that for you. So, uh, you know, the whole like, go find your Boaz. I mean, I don't know, maybe you wanna find an older person who will sleep with you once and get you pregnant, uh, just, as, you know, like, I mean, I don't know, that's, that's probably not what you're all looking for. So just a little caveat there. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women, the women of the town said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And that is the moment where if you were Jewish reading this at the time, your jaw would hit the floor. The father of Jesse, the father of David. You'd be like, what? That's who we're talking about? The grandfather, the relative, the the ancestor of David, the most famous Jew of them all, the, the most famous Israelite king, the the one that everybody knows about, that's the one who comes from Obed. So Boaz and Ruth get married, and I love the phrase where it says, the Lord gave, uh, where does it say, uh, the Lord gave her conception. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that, you know, we don't know how long Ruth and and uh, her, her husband were married in, in um, in Moab, but you know, presumably, as long as they were together, they were not able to conceive. And so, here in Ruth four, the Lord gives the one is the one who gives conception. So the Lord blesses her with a child, and the women of the town bless her and say, "Blessed be the Lord! Naomi is redeemed." And so we see that Obed is the father of Jesse and David. Now. I will say Ruth is my favorite book in all of the Bible um, if you're, you know, okay with favorites. Uh, But Ruth is my favorite book in the Bible. Uh, Hopefully this is coming out in my preaching. Um, And uh, Ruth may be my favorite character in the Bible because of the the, the richness of the story. And Ruth 4 is, I think, my favorite chapter in the favorite book of the Bible. And what we're about to read is my favorite part of the favorite chapter of the, my favorite book about my favorite person. Okay? So this is, this is the best part. That's what I'm saying. So this is the best part. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon. You're getting it. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. Now you stop and you say, hold on. You just said that we are reading your favorite book, your favorite chapter, your favorite part. So you're saying this is like your favorite verses in the Bible? And it's a genealogy? Now, alright, let's be honest. When you guys read genealogies, you skip. <laughs> we skip. I used to, I, I used because you know you just get hung up on pronunciation. Because, you know, forgive me, but like these are not familiar names in my culture. So I used to, I literally used to just go P fathered H, H fathered R, R fathered A, A fathered N, because it was just quicker and more efficient. And now you're saying that this is like my favorite passage in the favorite chapter, in the favorite book, in like, what's going on here? You see, these are the generations from, so we're going to David, right? It says, you know, Obed, Jesse, David. David is... That, you know he's the king. He's he's the the the, the best, the, the most famous. Like if you're a descendant of David, like this is you are the Jew of the Jews. And we go through Obed, who is born of Ruth, and Boaz. So like we know the story of how Ruth came to be, and it's it's born from Ruth the Moabite. But what's the first name? Perez. Who's Perez? Perez was born to Tamar, who dressed up like a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law in in order to get pregnant. Perez, Obed, David. Oh, wow. This is, oh, I'm, I'm beginning to see a picture here of the genealogy. So we have to understand here that when we talk about this idea of redeemers, right? You need to be able, you need to be willing, you need to have the right blood to buy back that which was lost. We can see how Boaz was able and he was willing. That other redeemer was able, but he was not willing. But Boaz was able and he was willing and he had the right blood to buy back that which was lost. Purchase the plot of land with which it comes Ruth the Moabite. And he provides for her a male offspring. And so we get this picture of these broken redeemers. These broken redeemers. Well, what are we talking about here? Well, Ruth was a broken redeemer. Who did Ruth end up redeeming? She ends up redeeming Naomi. Ruth is a widow. She's poor. She's she's an immigrant. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. And yet she's the one who brings redemption to Naomi. Well, Boaz, in some ways, is a broken redeemer. He's an old guy, right? In chapter 3, he's like, oh, you know, the fact that you, as a young woman, would come to me as an old person, right? And he's not the closest relative. He's not necessarily who you would necessarily think as the redeemer. And What about Obed? Obed is the, the, the offspring of these two broken people, half Moabite, redeemer of Naomi. And that genealogy reminds us of Perez, who again, she seduced her father-in-law by dressing up like a prostitute, right? Like that's the genealogy. And so you see this line of broken redeemers to buy back that which was lost. And it can't help make us think about Jesus. That the, the redeemers that come in the genealogy of Jesus is filled with brokenness. And you you question, why Why would you do that? First of all, Jesus didn't need a genealogy, right? I mean, he could have been born of the best of the best of the best of the best of the best, all the way down the line. But I think the reason why Jesus comes from this idea of brokenness, born in a manger, right? born with the animals, is because he's here to redeem us. And I don't come from the best of the best of the best of the best. I come from broken to broken to broken. And if Jesus wants to be the redeemer of that which was broken, he will come from brokenness. If you don't believe me, let's look at another genealogy. It's not what you signed up for today, but We're going to read Matthew 1, 1 through 16. Now, I'm going to tell you every January 1st where you guys made your New Year's resolution, said, I'm going to read my Bible more. And you said, should I read from the Old Testament or the New Testament? You say, oh, I'm going to read from the New Testament. Well, if you're going to start reading from the New Testament, where do you start? You start in Matthew. If you start reading Matthew, where do you start? You start in Matthew 1, Matthew 1, 1. Now, I'm done to tell you, you've read this passage before. Because every, probably January 1st, you probably read this passage. And it starts with the genealogy. Now, this is what it says. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. These are names we know. Jacob, the father of Judah. Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Minadab. Minadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. This is just like Ruth 4. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. The the father of Boaz's mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David, that's Abraham to David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Solomon's mother was Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Isaiah; Isaiah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. So now that's David to the The exile. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, we're almost there. Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathon, Mathon the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, let me just explain what's going on here. You've read this passage before, and I'm hearing some wows. And I'm telling you, probably when you read this on January 1st, because you made a New Year's resolution to read your Bible, you probably weren't going, wow, in a genealogy. But you're seeing it now. From Abraham to Jesus goes through Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. To go from Abraham to Jesus goes through these five women. Now, I wanna just say something. In a genealogy, you do not need to, in that time, you do not need to mention women. In fact, these women were not named outside of their husbands, right? And so it says, you know, this person, uh, Judah, who, you know, Perez, whose mother was Tamar, right? You could just mention Perez. You don't have to mention Tamar. Matthew goes out of his way is what I'm saying. To mention the genealogy from Abraham to Jesus goes through Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and Mary. The genealogies, he goes out of his way to bring these women into the story. Well, who are all of these women? Well, Tamar, we know, was a father-in-law seducer dressed up like a prostitute. This is probably the most times that I've said the word prostitute in church, okay? I've said it like four or five times now. So Tamar was father-in-law seducer. Rahab was a Jericho prostitute in Joshua. They're going to go into the town, They and she hides spies, and she's the only one in Jericho. When they march around the city, the walls come tumbling down, right? And J- Rahab was the only one spared because she took care of the spies. Rahab was a Jericho prostitute. We got a real prostitute and a, ma- a wannabe prostitute. Ruth was a poor Moabite widow, Ruth the Moabite. Bathsheba was the one where David was supposed to be at war and saw a woman bathing and said, Go get her. I'm going to sleep with her. And he sleeps with her and she gives birth to Solomon. And then Bathsheba's. Husband comes back, and then David says, "Uh uh-oh, people are going to know that I slept with her because he was at war when she got pregnant, so go put her husband at the front of the line so that he can die. I mean, this is like, this is a whole different show, right? This is like one of those, like, soap operas where you're like, oh, man, like, there's some drama going on here. Tamar, woo Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and who was Mary? Mary was a single pregnant teenager. (laughs) I mean, that's true. That is true. She was a single pregnant. The genealogy of Jesus. Matthew goes out of his way to say, this is who Jesus comes from. This is who Jesus comes from. Because Jesus comes from broken and he goes in order to redeem that which has been broken. Jesus came from the broken because Jesus came for the broken. Jesus came from the lost because Jesus came for the lost. He came from the humble to be, to reach, to redeem the most humiliated. Even from before his birth, in his genealogy, to his birth. No room for him at the inn, born amongst the animals, placed in a manger, even to his death on a cross, which at the time was the most humiliating way to die. It was the, it was the electric chair. It was a death sentence. God put Jesus in the most vulnerable place from before his death, to the point of his death, uh, from before his birth, to the point of his birth, to the point of his death, put him in the most humiliated places in order to reach the most humiliated people. Jesus came from brokenness in order to save and redeem brokenness. So what we learn in the book of Ruth is that God is on the side of the broken. God is on the side of the broken. Who was Ruth? Ruth was poor. She was an immigrant. She was a foreigner. She was a widow. She was a migrant, migrant worker. She might have been trafficked in chapter three. She was vulnerable. She was the most vulnerable woman in that society. And by the end of Ruth 4, she is the one that is not only blessed with a baby, that God provided a redeemer for her. Not just a redeemer for her, but in the genealogy of the redeemer of all. Ruth, who was she? She was a poor widow, Moabite, migrant, Immigrant, vulnerable on vulnerable. And so what it reminds me is that, you know, we've been poking fun at how the Bible keeps mentioning Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. And what we realize is that it's not actually to remind you that she deserved, that she was an outsider. It's not just keep saying, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, in order to say, Ruth is an outsider, desert does not deserve this. But by the end of the book, where we see Ruth is, where she is the one who gets the Redeemer, and the one whose baby is in the genealogy of Jesus, when it says Ruth the Moabite, it is a reminder to us that God is on the side of the Moabites of the world. God is on the side of the Ruths of the world. So are you poor? Are you an immigrant? Are you a migrant? Are you vulnerable? Are you a victim? If you are, God is on your side because that is who God is. The redeemer that God brings comes from brokenness to save brokenness. And so I don't know where you came in from today. I don't know where you live and what your path was to get here. But when you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I'm not this, I'm not that. I don't have this, I don't have that. This church may not be this or that, or you know, all of the people in my life, my family, my church, my, 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 my work, all of these things are these voices that are saying you're not this, you, you're not that, you're, you're not enough. You are broken. You are poor. You are an immigrant. You are a foreigner. You are a migrant worker. You are vulnerable. Well, guess what? God is on the side of the broken. God is on the side of the poor and of the vulnerable and of the migrants and the foreigners. So if you are on, in, 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 find yourself in vulnerable places in society, society may not see you but god sees you and so your brokenness means that god is for you and so that's not a reason why god does not love you that is actually a vehicle through which god will love you embrace that if ruth tells us anything it is that in the unlikeliest of places god will bring redemption and a redemption that spans far wider than what we could ever even imagine. This was not just about the redemption of Naomi or of Ruth. Matthew 1 tells us this is the story of the redemption of all.